For our communion devotion this morning, I'm going to have you turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11 and verses 28 through 30. Matthew chapter 11 and verses 28 through 30. I chose this passage quite a while back as part of a new series which I'll be mentioning in just a minute. But it is a good passage in another way for this morning. I'll be going in a different direction for the message itself, but what a good passage of just comfort. As a church body, we have come to one of those times where our hearts are so heavy and there is a sense of heaviness among us um, thinking of the sudden and unexpected homegoing of, of Curtis Felposh and having spent time with the family and just seeing the, the grief, the mourning. Oh yes, knowing that Curtis is home with Jesus, knowing that he is with the Lord and was confident of his salvation, but yet, yet today we as a church, we mourn with them, we grieve with them, we weep with those who weep. And before I get into the message, let me just read this passage from that perspective. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, our first point this morning is a new series. This morning we begin a new series of sermons that explore what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple? In fact, we are going to spend almost all of 2017 just exploring this question. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And um, as Amber sang this morning, it was perfect for this as kind of an introduction for this whole series. What does it mean when we say, I give my life to him? What does that mean? I've given my life to him. We use the word disciple almost unconsciously, so frequently, and, and it's good because that is what we are. But what does it mean? What does it mean to take up your cross and follow Jesus? What does it mean to call him master? What does it mean to call him Lord? What does it mean to abide in Christ? And my prayer is that this series will not only help each of us to be more faithful disciples, but to also help others to deepen their commitment to our Savior. 
So it'll be a twofold goal throughout this year. What does it mean to be a disciple and what is discipleship? Again, a term that we use so often within evangelical Christianity. I am discipling someone else. I am involved in discipleship, but what does that really mean? So how do I come to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ and simultaneously to desire, to long, to help others to know and follow my Savior? Now, we are going to look this year at a number of passages one by one. But I don't want us to simply look at some verses and say, that's nice, I'm glad I've learned that. Rather, I want us to look into the mirror of God's word and have him examine our souls. To examine us and to ask ourselves as we look into the light of his word, do I know what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Do I know what it means to be his disciple? And my prayer is that we will long for, that we will long for and desire this one that we call our Savior. And then, and then, to share with others the joy and the satisfaction of knowing and obeying the one who sits on the throne of our lives. Back at Thanksgiving time, as I sought to encourage us in a tumultuous and turbulent culture that Jesus sits on the throne of the universe and he does but let all of us remember this morning that he sits on the throne of each of our lives we have voluntarily joyfully gladly abdicated the throne of our lives and said Jesus you sit there you take control you sit on the throne of my life. A passage that we will look at a number of times this year is Mark chapter 8 and verses 34 and 35, where we read, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. If anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross. Let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to save his life will lose his life. But whoever loses his life, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. We're going to take our time in this series. I don't want to rush through this. I don't want this just to be a list of information. 
We're going to take time with each passage. In fact, with this passage right here that we're looking at this morning. This is, you will notice in the bulletin, this is part one. And it's part one of three. We're going to take three messages just to look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Which leads to our second thought this morning, come to me. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 has been described as one of the clearest, most powerful, most compelling, most beautiful pictures of Christianity the way Jesus designed it to be. This is the Christian faith the way that Jesus designed it to be. We're going to talk about, to think about what does it mean to be yoked together with Jesus. To learn from him, knowing that he is gentle and lowly in heart. And in him, in him alone is where we find rest, rest for our weary souls. And to know, to know as we follow him, day by day, moment by moment, his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. This passage has also been called a forceful rebuke to the way we have created Christianity to be today. A forceful rebuke to the way we have let Christianity become even in evangelical Bible teaching churches. We set up these expectations. And we almost unconsciously, unwittingly begin to judge one another. Oh, he's spiritual or he's not spiritual. We begin to judge one another's lives in the way that we live or don't live. We begin to judge how people raise their children. They're not doing it the way that I think they should do it or the way we think they should be doing it. And today, and maybe even some of you who are here this morning, for so many Christians, their Christian life has become a sense of defeat, a sense of they're not measuring up. They see some other Christian or they see some other family and they feel like, They just can't do that. They're not that good. They're not that spiritual as they are. And so they carry this burden and they carry this weight with them of kind of hopelessness, of I'm never going to be able to be a dynamic Christian. And I want us to see in this series that's not the way that Christ intended it to be at all. These verses will help us to see the stark contrast between the Christian faith and all the other religions of the world. To see this vivid difference between Jesus and all the false religions with all of their rules and regulations, with all of their ceremonies and rituals. To see the difference between following Jesus and the bondage, and the bondage of those other religions. 
this morning for communion, we're just going to touch on the beginning. And so Jesus begins by saying, come to me. There is so much there. Come to me, he says. I have used that little phrase often in sharing the gospel with others. I have, as some of you know, used that little phrase in funeral services. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus invites anyone to come to him. We think of the Perspectives course starting tomorrow night. And Jesus invites anyone from any people group in any part of the world to come, to come to him. You have heard this said before, but I think it bears repeating. Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship. It is a relationship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That is so important. Your Christian faith is a relationship. A relationship with Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, come to a set of rules and regulations. Here's the list of all the do's and don'ts that we are to keep. Here's the list of all the things you're supposed to do if you're considered spiritual or if you're considered to be a good Christian. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, come and follow man-made traditions. Here's what our church does. Here's what our denomination does. So if you want to be a good Christian, you better do the things the way that we do them. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that at all. He doesn't say, come to my religious heritage. He doesn't say, come and become a Baptist. Or come and become a Methodist. Or a Nazarene. Or a Catholic. Or a Presbyterian. He doesn't say any of those things. But what he does say is this. Come to me. you're weary, if you're burdened, if you recognize your own sinfulness and you long for forgiveness, you long for cleansing, you long to know the true and the living God, Jesus says, come, come to me. As we share the Lord's Supper together this morning, I encourage you to meditate on the fact that you have given your life to Jesus. Again, the very thing that Amber sang about this morning. You have given your life, your life, your whole life, every part of your life to Jesus. He died and was raised from the dead so that you might know him and follow him. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth, he says, you are not your own. He says, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. And I want us to meditate on that as we share the bread and the cup this morning. You are not your own. You are belong 
to Christ. You have gotten off of the throne of your life and you have asked Jesus to take his rightful place on that throne. Think with me today that Jesus sits on the throne of your life. At this time, we will share the Lord's Supper together.